You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. 24 Hour Nation's website, podcasts, and webinars are for professionals, business owners, and volunteers who are interested in the nighttime economy and urban night issues in their communities. 24 Hour Nation is also designed for early adopters and curious travelers who want new and intriguing nighttime experiences in U.S. cities. Today, you will hear from Michael Fitchman. Michael is a city planner, researcher, and lecturer at Penn Praxis at the University of Pennsylvania's Weitzman School of Design, and he is acting director of the university's Masters of Urban Spatial Analytics graduate program. Michael is also a community organizer and a DJ and a producer. He is an Emerging City Champions Fellowship recipient for his work with 24-Hour Philadelphia, a nightlife community organization. He also chairs the Philadelphia City Council's Arts and Culture Task Force Nightlife Committee, where his efforts have led to the creation of Philadelphia's Nighttime Economy Office. My name is Randall White, host and curator for 24-Hour Nation, where we offer updates, insights, and conversations about nighttime economies in American cities. Follow us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24 Nation. I asked Michael what uh, two or three messages he could get in front of others. You gave me three topics that you thought you might want to talk about, Michael. Do you remember what they were? I do, yeah. Um, One was about uh, sort of a theory of change, change coming from organization. Second was about, um, you know, what it means to be a translator, you know, when it comes to matters of, of activism or organization or, or governance. And the third one is about the, my sort of theory that the nighttime economy is not about the money and that that term is... Um, Perhaps one I don't know that we should discard, but that we should we should think about uh, when we do our work. Okay, so let's talk about the change uh, change element of of an organization. A group comes together, they decide they want to initiate some change in their community, and how governments respond to that when it's not led by the government side. What was your experience in Philadelphia? Yeah, my experience um, came from. I mean, I I've been DJing producing music, touring, promoting parties uh, for, you know, since the early 2000s in in Philly. And um, before that, a little bit when I was growing up in Pittsburgh and um, touring around, there were lots of things that I would observe in one city or another. It's different here than it is there. Well, like, why is it that we can, for example, get a one night license to do a an event in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, it has something to do with the history of the speakeasies in Kentucky Derby. Like, wow, that's a great idea. Can we do something like that in Philadelphia? It would perhaps be really beneficial here. And I started thinking these things, you know, on my own. And then I realized, um, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't, these ideas were not going to, you know, get out into the ether, into political discussion, or, you know, I wasn't even sure where they were supposed to go until I started talking to other people about them and until we started um, putting ourselves together. And then it wasn't, you know, but a matter of a few years that a 24 hour Philadelphia group, we started being able to engage with, you know, the director of licenses and inspections and so on. But before that, it was just a bunch of isolated individuals thinking possibly the same thoughts, talking about them when we bumped into each other. But 
sort of nothing doing until you put a name on it, you, you know, present some sort of formalized group. Because government, I think that my colleague Lutz Leichsenring from Berlin, who um, I work with on many projects, I think he may have been the one who said this to me, that, you know, governments only deal with organizations, not individuals. That's interesting. Why, why, why do you think that? Why, why do they respond better to organizations and people? Is it just because there's more bodies and they're more constituents? or uh, Possibly. I mean, I think it's totally conceivable that governments respond to, you know, powerful individuals or uh, individuals that they think, you know, have been kind of vetted as being, you know, authorities or representatives of some interests or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, a group of people represents stakeholders, you know, in, in the aggregate, I guess. So, and your stakeholders, I mean, your stakeholders span what? I- individual artists, organizations, um, business right. owners? Well, with 24-Hour Philadelphia, I mean, we're, we're a little bit of a, I, I mean, anarchistic is not the right word, but we're a very loosely organized group. I mean, people work on specific topics that they're interested in, and it's, um, so I, I don't know that we are stakeholder representatives per se, except that government kind of recognized, council members recognize, oh, these are nighttime nightlife or nighttime economy people, right? There's some collection of managers of clubs, uh, artists make up a lot of our membership, patrons, independent entrepreneurs, stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it like actually formalized the idea that we were an interest group and nighttime economy was a thing. Whereas before that, there was nobody with, I guess, enough clout or enough people or a you know nicely designed logo uh, that could get <laughs> in a room and say, did you know that there's a totally different way to think about how Philadelphia works and that, you know, you're ignoring it or, you know, you have opportunities, right? So it's like that getting the foot in the door by claiming truly or falsely, I don't know, to represent a group of people. I don't know if we represent the whole nightlife here. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but that official imprint of, you know, all the trappings of a group. Right. And at some point they got someone's attention at someone's attention in your municipal government in Philadelphia went, I get it. I get it. Now I, did I meet um, a council person from Philadelphia or was that somebody was at this conference we attended and you, the result of your work is yeah. that you, Philadelphia is now going to get a nighttime advisor, a nighttime manager, correct? That's correct. So um, we didn't have any council members um, down at the Responsible Hospitality Institute uh, conference in Washington, D.C. this year, but we had people from uh, the Arts and Culture Task Force, of which That's I am right. a member, which was That's founded right. by council member Isaiah Thomas, who really you know gave sanction to our ideas. Um, so a lot of people there came from 24-Hour Philadelphia to make up the nightlife subcommittee. Um, so we brought down two folks from that group, uh, George Lawrence and Raheem Manning, and then also Sophie Hang from the Philadelphia Commerce Department, which is where go. the time economy director will work. Oh, so in, in Philadelphia, it will be under economic development. Yes, uh, we basically put forward a, ra- a raft of ideas. Right. Um, what it, it was kind of a, an, uh, uh, 
an instance where preparation and opportunity met because um, I, I'm an editor of this thing called the Global Nighttime Recovery Plan, which I helped. Um, which is fantastic. And we have posted Steve on our website. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And well, it was this global knowledge sharing effort. And um, I helped write several chapters. I edited much of it. Um, I wrote a whole chapter on my own. And so here I am in City Hall and I say, well, I have like 35 things you could do here. Right. So we we gave them the ones that were most appropriate. And that was the shiny object. And we presented it as saying, like, if you don't have a governance framework, all this other stuff you're, that you might think is a good idea is um, possibly going to be for naught. Right. You could say that you want to support the nighttime economy in Philadelphia or specific businesses, entrepreneurs, artists, um, public safety, whatever. But if you haven't formalized any kind of governance for it, it's all kind of, an or, it's like a or, set of orphaned policies. Um, so they bought into that as a concept. And then um, it's, you know, so far so good. We should be um, finalizing the hire um, and announcing it uh, in hopefully in June. Where you know when we're now speaking, I'm not sure when this will go to air. So, uh, this individual's role, the new, what, what, do you know what title they're going to have? Are they going to be nighttime advisor or night manager or? They'll be nighttime economy director. Okay, okay, and they'll be able to kind of cut across all departments at City Hall and help mobilize um, attention to various aspects of the nighttime economy. And by that, I guess from your perspective, define nighttime economy or define the word you use to describe right. what happens after 6 PM in Philadelphia. Sure. So yeah, this was one of the points I brought up. So I think nighttime economy is kind of a tricky, um, it's a tricky term because, uh, I think the term speaks to what, um, a lot of politicians um, think of or are, are, are amenable to when it comes to trying to get this on the agenda. They right. think business development, economic development, jobs, tourism, et cetera. Um, so that was politically the way that we chose to package that here, right? It appeals to a certain um, growth-oriented type of politician. Right. Philadelphia certainly needs economic growth. It's one of the uh, poorest big cities in the United States per capita. Um, however, in my work more generally, I'm a little wary of the term because I think it establishes some the, the wrong play, the wrong field on which to play. Does it feel almost adversarial between those folks that work by day or... No, I think it's because the nighttime, various nighttime industries, although not unimportant, lack the clout of other kinds of industries. Gotcha. And if you set up the, the dynamic as being this is good for the city's economy, um, you know, on a site by site basis. So my work with the creative footprint, we, we measure right. things um, about programming um, about the, the art that's going on in creative spaces. If it was about the money, you, you would, you could just put a condo in that place. You could generate more tax revenue. You, I mean, if it were about the money, we wouldn't be constantly talking about what to do to keep these businesses and these artists afloat. We wouldn't be subsidizing them heavily when there's this major uh, economic crisis 
We wouldn't be worried about venues going out of business constantly. Like we set up a funky set of terms for debate where we say, oh, look at all the money that is generated in the nighttime economy. Well, like if you just filled the city with with paper mills and condos, you know, you could generate a lot of money, but it's about what makes life good to live in a city or amongst other people. And that has a value that cannot necessarily be put in dollars. We saw that in the pandemic. Yeah, right. Not I was going to say money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and now, as I think our city, our cities need to heal from the pandemic. And in that, there is a desire for a lot of people to come back together. And the coming back together happens at night. And I believe in, in how we celebrate music and how we celebrate food and how we celebrate the arts and how uh, we celebrate open spaces at night and just celebrate each other. And it's hard to, to put a dollar figure on that. And that's basically what I'm hearing, correct? Yeah, I think that's right. I'm very wary of um, this sort of 20th century post-industrial mindset for revitalizing cities where, um, you know, just having something going on at all seems like an end in and of itself. Um, And uh, that's led us down this path where we just think of everything in in these economic terms. And um, I'm also, I'm very wary of, of things like economic impact studies being like a leading device for trying to get political traction for nighttime industries. Oh, I think very that interesting. I think that it's not unimportant, but if you for starters, I think that a lot of these a lot of these studies are not um, not done in a way that accurately really reflects maybe the economic activity that's going on. It's very hard to measure some of that stuff. Um, but the other thing is that um, it like I said, it sets up some some terms for debate or uh, for argument that you might lose on because it is not these. It's about the mix of things that's going on. If we're just talking about getting arts and culture going, it's not a, a winning economic. I'm trying to think how to say this when it comes to arts and culture. It's not necessarily going to beat almost any other powerful industry on a site-by-site basis, on a sector versus sector basis. So if you say, look, we created X million dollars of economic activity, do you really want to go do battle with pharmaceuticals and hospitals and steel mills or what have you? I don't think you do. Right. This is a nice segue, I think, actually, too. The second point you wanted to talk about was the role of the translator, the the advocate at night having this role in using correct language that will resonate with others to get their buy-in on bringing attention to what you and I and hundreds of others are all about. Talk about that ability to translate and choose language carefully. You just mentioned that economic impact studies might appeal to some people, but they're not fully accurate. So what are you saying or what are you using that's, um, and what do you recommend perhaps others say and use to engage more people in uh, in seeing what's possible? Well, I, in thinking about the, the, the economic impact study part aside, I think the translation idea um, I, I've found that working in Philadelphia, working in many other cities, that there are people who have the ability to 
talk to multiple groups and languages that they understand. And that's right. really critical to getting the interests of artists, entrepreneurs, um, people who don't necessarily have a, a way about them that comports with how, say, politicians speak or something like this, right. um, or, you know, institutionalist kind of groups, right? They have their own languages. If you can go tran- talk to, you know, venue managers about, and you, you know how it is they do the count, you all know all the stuff that, like, burns their ass about what the city is doing here and there, you know how to talk about the ins and outs of what it is we do. I mean, for me, that's like the world I come from. And then you can go downtown and turn that into a chart, a map, a one page memo, a set of uh, jargon filled arguments about <laughs> like what it is they talk about. Right. That's really important. And you got to be able to do it in the other direction. Right. And so I, I think that works. It's not just government and nightlife people, but you know, that works in a number of different ways and it works for uh, actually a number of different skills. So I think, you know, when it comes to trying to build people power and um, political power and community in, when it comes to nightlife, there are lots of people who they do other stuff during the day and they might do it really well. Not necessarily everybody has a day job, but people have all these different skills. Right. A computer programmer, someone that works in PR, you know, there are a lot of, lot of good skills you can bring to bear. Well, as a, as a, tell me a little bit about as a researcher and someone who's affiliated with the Weitzman School of Design, how has that informed what you're being able to do and your effectiveness as a translator? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, when I went to graduate school in city planning, um, I thought I was really out of my depth for a couple months. And then I realized that there was just a layer of professional trappings that I had to get through, where basically people have invented a bunch of words to talk about cities and city planning and design and whatever to like protect their own profession, right? So you can't get anybody to pay you unless you have words to say that they don't understand. So once I got into that, I thought, oh, okay, all right, I see. But that's you know, that's very difficult to cut through. So um, I try to take some of the things that I know. And when I'm working uh, on a project like the Creative Footprint um, with Vibe Lab, where we're doing a venue uh, census, and we're looking at all these different indicators about programming and the size and age of venues and their locations, you know, I can turn that stuff into the kind of jargon-oriented um, stuff that looks good in a set of maps and charts and facts and figures who say that the you know, last project is in Stockholm, where we say something like, you know, there are agglomeration effects in cities where multiple kinds of land uses uh, want to cluster around transportation and rents get very high there. And there's a lot of competition in places where economic forces are agglomerating in Stockholm. And it's making mm-hmm. people invest in things other than programming and it's putting venues very much on the margin. Whereas like to you and me, I could just say like, Randall, the rent is too damn high. Gotcha. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like being culturally multilingual, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's like a, I don't know, like a technical kind of code switching. 
I guess. On being able to follow the data and the research and produce the kind of uh, information that you you swim in that pool, as particularly I forgot to mention, I mean, you are a you are a, a city planner um, um, and you do come at that. Well, what we're about from a very different perspective than a lot of people, I think, really, um, except perhaps some of the folks with Vibe Lab. Um, most of the most of the other folks that are advocates in the nighttime economy, it seems, have come up from being a. Um, producer in that in that in the field, either as a, a hospitality business owner or like you, a, an artist, um, which you did, or, or like me as an artist. So I'm very intrigued by the city planner point of view on that, and it helps. I think in Philadelphia, it's helped you speak to the other city planners and language they understand. And that's back to the translation point. I'm curious. Uh, I want. We talked briefly about the nighttime economy. It's not just about an economy. It's not just about the money. What is it about, from your perspective? I mean, what really kind of jazzes people and makes them get on board, from your perspective? For me, it's always been about you know the music and and socializing. Ever since I was young, you know, go going out and playing music, hearing music. But there's also, you know, food and drink. There's also work, you know, that we don't talk about this as much in the United States, but there is a lot of work going on after after dark. And um, I think actually one thing that was very, I, I hesitate to say anything really good came out of the pandemic, but was emergent through the pandemic was was people really saw the work that goes on in the hospitality sector for what it really is. And, um, you know, there's so much about what goes on at night that is about the soul, but Ah. there's also stuff that's about, about, you know, life that you might think of as being regular daytime life, but it happens at night. So it doesn't really get treated the same way. I think there's so much about the way cities work at night. That's about efficiency lacking, at night mm-hmm. um, or, or sort of generally you get this really interesting kind of nighttime thing going on in cities in uh, places that have a lot more like informal economies and informal settlements where it's like you're in Lagos, you get up at three in the morning to go to work because the transportation is like totally inefficient. And there's a whole other life to a city like that where it's just like daytime is kind of all the time. As someone I perceive as being a leader in uh, this space, if you will, uh, in in the United States, what do you think is the most important next thing that cities in the states could do to bring more attention to uh, the night? The night. Wow, what is the most important next thing cities could do to bring more? I, I am I am Sally Johnson. I work on the city staff in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm sitting here. I'm going. What do I need to do to bring more attention in my city to the potential of the night? Okay, maybe this is not a very direct thing to drawing attention to the night, right? But I think that one of the most important things that cities can do that will make life better at night for everybody is to solve the housing crisis. Uh, Because I think that this is really, like I said, there's something about efficiency, Yep. right? We don't have enough supply of housing. People want to be 
close to all this stuff. There are customers, there are workers, there are people who want to live in the city that can't be there. Cities are getting incredibly expensive, right? They, they have trouble affording it. And the great things about the city and the, you know, both to live in, but also the opportunities for people to do things are being really limited. If you can get more people living more comfortably, it solves a lot of problems for the city because there's more, you, it really opens up the opportunities when you say, there are people here who want to do this. But right now there's like a cap on that. And it's also very bad for workers in the nighttime economy who generally are very burdened with housing costs. So I think that, you know, that's not necessarily a nighttime specific thing, but I think really unlocking the potential of the city by letting more people be there and letting people build homes while not, uh, destroying necessarily the character of what makes cities great will unlock limitless potential for them in decades to come. This has been Season 1, Episode 3 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation at 24hournation.com.